Hi there, and welcome to Be a Global Citizen, a podcast that explores the concept of global citizenship through the lens of value-creating education. My name is Scott Bauer, and I'm a SOCA researcher and educator. I hope you find the discussions, stories, and insights on this podcast to be valuable and inspiring as we strive to become global citizens who are committed to living a contributive life. Today, we have another GC Talks with Audrey Rudwitz. She is a Montessori teacher in Arizona, and she is also a former classmate. We're going to get into a lot of really wonderful discussions around uh, her experiences, what led her to teaching, and more specifically, what is the approach to Montessori pedagogy and how that connects with global citizenship. It's a really fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoy. So let's get into the episode. Hi, my name is Audrey Rudvitz. I'm a Montessori teacher in Arizona. I teach kids age three to six. So great to have you on the podcast, Audrey. And I'm really looking forward to to hear more about your experiences. And fun fact, we both graduated from SUA in the same class in 2015. So we got that strong SOCA connection and it's really exciting to be able to interview a former classmate of mine. So it's going to be fun. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So uh, let's get started. The first question is about your professional background. You mentioned that you're a Montessori teacher. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about what, what events led up to you being in that position Um, and, you know, maybe some of like the kind of smaller jobs or different kind of side roads that you took. And and I imagine, right, it wasn't just, uh, you know, working at Montessori, but many other things too that, you know, kind of helped you get to where you are now. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, for sure. So it actually started at a very young age for me because I grew up going to a Montessori school. So it is in my lineage to be where I am now. My mom was a Montessori teacher um, and living in Canada, there wasn't a Montessori school in the town that I grew up in, but my mom was very passionate about Montessori education. So her and her best friend actually opened their own school together. And I was actually the first student to start from the beginning in preschool and go all the way up through the curriculum and graduate in eighth grade from that school. So uh, like a pioneer for, for that Montessori <laughs> school. And it's still, yep. it's still functioning. It's still, it is. Oh, wow. Yep. Yep. They're still open. They've expanded. Um, yeah. So, so I grew up going to Montessori school and I absolutely loved that experience in my life. And I saw many benefits from a young age from attending a Montessori school. Um, but I never wanted to be a teacher. Like that was my mom's thing. She had mentioned to me multiple times, like, you know, you'd probably make a really great Montessori teacher, but I had absolutely no interest in working with children. I wanted to have adult conversations with other adults when I grew up, and that was pretty clear for me. However, <laughs> um, I went to Soki University with you, and we graduated in 2015, as we mentioned. Yeah. And from there, I moved to Arizona. And I started working as a social worker at a domestic violence agency. So so the first few years after graduating, um, I was working for a period of time in a domestic violence shelter 
with the victims of abuse. And from there, I uh, switched positions within the same company and started working with the offenders of domestic violence and facilitating classes for them about the you know dynamics of power and control and respect and healthy communication styles and anger management and all of these components that kind of play into those situations. Um, and it was actually a moment that I had when I was working with those um, people that I realized if you want to prevent these people from getting to this point, you need to really start from a younger age. And I remember hearing a lot of men telling me, you know, I wish I had learned this stuff in school. Why did they never teach us how to have healthy communication with each other and how to work out our emotions in a way that's appropriate. And I was like, huh, that's funny. Like I got that in school. And that's, that was my light bulb moment. <laughs> that was when I was like, okay, there's something unique that's being offered in Montessori and it can really help foster a generation of people who are going to grow up to be healthy communicators and to be, um, you know, caring, generous, confident human beings. So that's kind of when I had the the shift where I decided that I was going to leave social work and get trained to be a Montessori teacher. And I've been doing that since 2018. Wow. That, that's, it's, it's incredible to, to hear that. Um, after graduating, finding yourself in, in that line of work, social work, uh, it's very heavy, right, to hear Wow. These these cases, I can only imagine how you know such trauma and abuse. It's kind of like in in one place, and be, having to to deal with that, and and give counsel and you know tools for them to to heal. It's mm -hmm. it's not easy, but at the same time, right? Because you took that step, I I I can see how it really enriched you and your experiences, and led to that light bulb moment. And I think that that just sounded like a really powerful kind of click for you and it's something that you know was already in the pipeline right based upon your own experiences as a, as a student and you know your mom kind of a little whisper in the ear you'd make a good teacher <laughs> and you being very rebellious like let me let me figure this out myself or, you know I got this don't worry right um, and and in many ways like of course you did and but I think it's it's kind of mystic to look back in retrospect seeing how you know, maybe it might have seemed disjointed at the time, mm -hmm. but then now with the work that you do at the school, you can see how it's it's like this long-term perspective. I think this is something as like teachers, we have to recognize because you were dealing with, you know, the offenders who were, I don't know, in their, anywhere from their 20s to 40s. I could be yeah, wrong. To the 60s. Yep. All ages. Into the 60s. Yep. All ages. Um, and for them to say, well, where was this when I was five years old, you know, yeah. when I was just starting school? Um, so the, the work that you're like, what grade level specifically are, are you teaching at the Montessori school? So I'm working with preschool and kindergarten, which is, yeah, something that's unique about Montessori is within one classroom, there is always a mixed age group of three ages. So I work with mm -hmm. uh, ages three to six. Okay. Yeah, so um, I, I, I'd love to hear more about Montessori itself. You did mention, right, one key um, 
I guess, component of the Montessori education is like clear, effective communication, maybe in terms of like expressing the kind of inner world that we have with our emotions and trying to put a name to it. I don't know. I, I, you didn't say that, but I was just imagining <laughs> what would good communication be, especially given the you know, complexities within a relationship. Like what would you need to be able to do? But I'm sure that there's much more than just the communication side of like what Montessori offers. So do you think you can give me like, well, me and, and the listeners, a crash course on like, well, what is Montessori education? In a nutshell? <laughs> I'll give you the elevator speech. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It, it, the elevator, you can imagine that there's like 30 floors. So, you know, okay, take, take all right, we're going up for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah, so basically some of the main components that make Montessori education unique are that the learning happens on a much more individual level. So because you have mixed age groups within one classroom, you can't be teaching the same lessons to the entire group because they're all at different points in their development. And that happens naturally even in public schools where you do just have one age group. You know, everybody's always on their own timeline. It's just more exaggerated in the mixed age group setting. So what we do as Montessori teachers is kind of act like these ob observational scientists where we're observing what the children are doing on a daily basis. We're observing what they're drawn to, uh, what sorts of body movements they're needing and craving, whether they need a lot of that kind of big gross motor activity or if they're really, you know, concentrating on these little fine details sorts of activities. Um, where they're at in their language development and their understanding of numbers and math and more abstract concepts. And based on those observations, we know which lessons in the classroom that they are probably ready for. And then we give those lessons one-on-one -on -one with that child. And there's, you know, a progression within the classroom that goes, you know, there's a, there's a, cur a curriculum. So, you know, once they've mastered one step, in say the math curriculum they've got a certain skill set or a certain concept that they understand from that material and they're ready to move on to something that is going to build upon that previous skill set or concept so that's kind of like the major difference i would say in montessori education there's other things too i mean you just walk into a montessori classroom and you can very visibly tell that everything's a little different. There's all these beautiful handmade materials on all the shelves, tons of, um, you know, wooden objects and brass objects and all these manipulatives. So a lot of the materials, almost every single material in the classroom is something that the child is going to be using their hands and their body while they're working. So it really creates that, that physical and mental connection so that they're channeling their energies to to have these you know intellectual discoveries while they're working um but yeah i could go on and on i think i might need more than 30 floors <laughs> yeah no, no, that's okay. like you know since this is the global citizenship podcast um yeah that's what i'm told yeah yeah right I heard that too. 
<laughs> it was like the title on the Google invite. I don't know. Yeah. You read the invite. Great. Okay. I did. I just, I did. You just clicked the button and then you know, <laughs> saw my face and it was like, all right, let's talk. Yeah. No, yeah. So there's definitely the global citizenship uh, element. And I, and I do want to, to, to ask you more about that. But, um, but I think what you shared right now in the, from the elevator pitch, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, just for me, it's someone who is quite new to, to this um, Montessori approach and their curriculum. Um, it sounds very much like, you know, student-centric or mm -hmm. humanistic education. I mean, there's so many buzz terms, but ultimately the attention that you bring uh, to, to each individual student is just really wonderful. Um, and uh, also this idea of the teachers as like, you know, scientists observing what's going on. I just had this amazing image of like everyone in like went white uh, coats, like lab coats with like a, a paper clip, I mean, a, a clipboard or something. And, yeah. But I think that kind of um, attention to detail and, you know, the role of the teacher is not to like download information, tell them what they need to know, but to, to in many ways allow them the freedom to discover it for themselves, but also to be that kind of guiding force to yeah. kind of nudge them in one direction or the other, or to offer up, you know, did you try this? Right? Did you touch that on the wall? Did right. you experiment with this? And yeah. I think that's really fantastic to kind of establish the kind of foundation that's really uh, able to connect, right? The, the mind and the body and the heart. Um, and so it just sounds like a, a very well-rounded um, educational experience. Yeah, you you got it completely. And uh, I only said what, what you put. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't wear a white coat in the classroom. Maria Montessori was a pediatrician first. She was a doctor oh, yeah. in, Italy in the early 1900s, late 1800s. Um, okay. So when she actually developed this pedagogy, she did start from a scientific perspective. And her first assignment was actually like in, uh, it was basically an insane asylum for children. And it was, wow. you know, this institution where they were keeping all of these children who were deemed unfit for society, you're mentally ill. And they were just kept in this room with absolutely no stimulation, you know, no toys, no learning materials. Mm -hmm. And she came in and she saw these kids playing with breadcrumbs on the floor because that's all they had and they were just craving something. So that's how it all began. She started observing them and creating all of these manipulative materials for them to use and to learn. And sure enough, she was able to teach them how to read, how to write, how to do all these amazing things that society had thought to be impossible previously. Oh, wow. That's such a touching uh, origin story. I mean, yeah. it, it's like also just crushing to, to hear, that, you know, those students, that society deemed them insane, mm -hmm. when in reality, it, it just took that, that person, right? Uh, what's her name? Maria Montessori. Maria Montessori. Yep. Yeah. So it, it took her, you know, in, insight to re recognize that it's not quite the students themselves, but the environment that they find themselves in to be insane. And what that reflection upon society is not pretty, and you know even like I think with with all the the, the emphasis on really trying to like address some of these societal issues with like domestic violence like you you mentioned earlier, um, but you know there's a whole host of you know other issues maybe ranging from addictions or 
discriminations or uh-huh. uh, just the othering of other people. Um, it's it's so vital for us to 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 really address them in like more like long term like you know schooling of efforts of sorts, right? Where it's like really bringing them in together and like I, I, the multi grade classroom. That also is something that really struck me, like yeah. bringing them to not only have the environment be stimulating, but also the interactions amongst people of you know students of different ages. So yeah, it yeah. just sounds it's it's a whole universe, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The whole episode could be dedicated just to discussing mm-hmm. that pedagogy. But you know, I, I did want to kind of have the um, have us shift a little bit more into the global citizenship side of it. But before you know, we go straight into like, you know, comparing or trying to identify maybe a particular aspect of global citizenship in Montessori. I I would kind of want to have it be more fixed on your own personal experiences, and I'm curious to know. So when you were attending the Montessori school in Canada, um, you know, is there any particular moment that maybe like stands out to you where you felt, um, I don't know, this this kind of broader perception of the world, like beyond Canada, or was it, maybe it was something that was like, you know, more focused on your own interactions, but like this idea of like global citizenship, was it something that was talked about within the the, the class lessons, or was it something that, I don't know, somehow like affected you in the way that you were developing? You know? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. and. I don't think global citizenship was a term that I had heard going to Montessori school. Um, but I, you know, I have a very distinct memory when I transitioned out of Montessori school and started attending public high school. I was in grade nine and it was day one of geography class. And I was sat next to this girl who had come from a local public school and everybody was handed a map of Canada and the girl next to me, you know, we, and we were told, you know, write in the labels of all the provinces and all the, you know, capital cities that, you know, and the girl next to me, I look over and her map of Canada is upside down. And I'm like, Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. And not to like, make this girl feel poorly. I mean, it just was really telling of the difference in the educations that we got because, you know, in, in Montessori, there is very much a focus on geography. And I think by the time I was out of sixth grade, I knew the name of every single country and its capital in the entire world, <laughs> because that's just, it's a big part of the curriculum. Um, and I think when you just, you know, give the the time to look at countries outside of your own and to examine other cultures from a young age, there's just kind of this natural born curiosity that comes from that. So I don't really know how much of my own, you know, travel bug that I can really attribute to like Montessori versus just some innate feeling, but I can definitely say that I've always been the type of person who wants to get out of my local community and see what else is out there. I've always had a curiosity to just experience and understand things beyond my own little world, you know? Wow. So I, I love you know, the word that, you know, is kind of 
sticking in my mind from what you just shared is, is curiosity and how important that is to kind of get you out of, you know, the comfort zone, what, what is around you. And I think for most people, um, you know, the lack of, I mean, everyone I think as a human being is born very curious, but there is something, you know, that happens over the, the years, you know, from ad, like when we're kids to adolescence and then becoming young adults that, I don't know, like the curiosity, curiosity is like kind of suppressed or just, you know, killed off in some way because the asking questions, the wondering of well, what's out there and then the act, not just thinking about it, but actually going there, right? It's like, it's one thing to just be like, oh, I have all these questions, but then to actually say like, oh, I've never been to, I don't know, Mexico. And then yeah. actually saying like, I want to go there or I've never been to this province outside of, you know, where I'm from and like, there's a, there's a refugee population there. What's that about, right? Yeah. The world is much more complex than what is often, um, like students are made to believe yeah. in public schools, for example, because I'm also a product of product of uh, um, public schools in California. And yeah. My geography is horrible. <laughs> I mean, it's better now, but yeah. Yeah. I just, I feel like one of the most beautiful things about youth and young people is, is their curiosity and also their, passion to make the world a better place. And I think there's, you know, I, I don't have any experience going to public elementary school, so I can't speak to that. But I do find it really important to foster that passion and curiosity and to use it while it's there. Because we all know as we grow up that that passion can dwindle because you get shut down by society in so many ways. And you're kind of taught that all you need to do to survive is to work and to have stability. And these dreams of, you know, making a difference in the world get, you know, rained on. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's really important to really harness that, that, passion while it's there you know it's it starts at a young age like I see six-year-olds who who are super passionate when they hear a story from across the world about somebody who's suffering and they want to help that person you know and it's just this innocent wanting to help that's so beautiful and it lasts like through teenage years usually and then mm -hmm. we get out into the workforce and it it gets killed <laughs> So, yeah, yeah I, I think it's so important to incorporate some sort of fostering of that in the education system in high schools and elementary schools so that children can have these more individually driven project based activities where they get to decide what they're passionate about and they get to do what they want to do to, you know, make make the world what they want it to be. And the world is so different from yeah. when we were their age. And, you know, I uh, I wanted to share really briefly um, just this past week. Uh, I, I teach English classes to the seventh grade over here in Brazil. Um, I also teach high school, but that's another thing. So <laughs> teaching, you know, English classes. And I decided to show a movie uh, because that's what cool teachers do, right? <laughs> to show a movie. Nothing to do with me being lazy. No. Yeah, you're no, but, your favorite teacher for the day, for sure. <laughs> yeah, just for the day, though, because it, it wears off fast. But um, the movie was called Hidden Figures, and we were discussing about this unit on, like, the future, and, like, what are some of the societal issues that we have, and what can we do about it? 
And it was just really wonderful because, like, you know, I was showing this movie for those of you who haven't watched it. It's about these three, um, uh, you know, black, um, you know, mathematician. One of them's a mathematician. One of them is an engineer. The other one uh, is, uh, I guess, the kind of like leadership supervisor. Anyway, they all have their own dark stories, but they work at NASA and it's in the 1960s. So, of course, many, many, many more barriers to the civil rights movement happening. And it just showed the challenges to really be visible and to get credit for their work rather than you know discriminated against just based upon their skin color. And what really struck me from showing this video, um, and there were some lessons leading up to it, but the students, like what you mentioned about passion, like they were so passionate about it. And they were like in the moments when you you would see like this moment of empower empowerment or a moment of like their release of kind of speaking truth to the injustices happening around them. Like these little sixth graders are just like applauding. Like in, it's like, it was just really like communal and how like they recognize something that they, you know, want to change. Yeah. And, and then, um, you know, within the class, just the demographics, there are not so many Afro-Brazilians. There's mm -hmm. only like, for in one of my classes, maybe two out of a group of maybe 12. Okay. Um, but what was so wonderful, you know, not only was this communal, like, yeah, you know, like we, we believe in, in these, you know, civil rights and that like we need to transform stuff. But what was even more inspiring uh, was like, one of the, one of the girls, um, she came up to me and she was like, I want to be just like them when mm -hmm. I grow up. And, and she said it with like this unbridled, like this innocence, but this purity of like, it's anything's possible. And I was like telling her, I was like, yeah, well, you know, this movie it started, it, it's it's based off two events, of course, 1961. And I was telling her, like, we're now living in 2021. So they've their story has been told, but yours is just starting. So maybe there's going to be a movie in the next 50 years, and it's going to be about you transforming some aspect of racial discrimination. And you could just see her just like shaking, like, yeah, you know? So wow. like, you were saying to like channel these passions and the curiosity of like, why is this injustice like being tolerated? Why does this happen? Why am I, she could have asked herself, why am I the only Afro-Brazilian or one of two in this class? How come the school doesn't have more? Mm -hmm. What's causing, like, what's impeding more people who look like me to be in the school? Yeah. These are important questions. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. But, you know, so again, passion, curiosity, that's something that you've been talking about uh, in relation to global citizenship, uh, which I think is phenomenal. I wanted to ask, like, is is there is there another component, or is there something that we like with those previous two components? Like, it, can you weave together maybe like what you believe global citizenship to be in this current moment, like for you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first, I just want to say I'm so happy you had that moment with that child. That's yeah, right. So special, and I, I love to hear that. Um, yeah, I think for me, like what it means to be a global citizen is to just have recognition of the role you play in this huge interconnected web of human society. And it's so unignorable at this point in time because we're in the era of globalization, obviously. You know, you walk into a supermarket and 
you know, I don't know what percentage of the fruits and vegetables are from different countries, but I would be willing to bet that it's the majority come from places outside of your local community. And, you know, it was really striking during the, you know, coronavirus pandemic when all the, you know, the the traffic between shipping routes were were shut down and you would go to the grocery store and all of a sudden you wouldn't be able to buy a mango or a dragon fruit you know because of course you can't because they don't grow here and it, it was just so striking like how dependent we've become and how comfortable we've become and how much we take for granted all of these global connections that exist currently. And I think what it means to be a global citizen is to just not only recognize that we are all interconnected and we are all very interdependent at this point, but to take a degree of responsibility as well and to think about your actions and live intentionally within that society. So whether that's you know, doing your best to shop ethically in a way that's, you know, going to support your local community or that's not going to hurt a faraway community. Um, or if it's fostering peace within yourself and, you know, taking responsibility for what you're putting out into society and making sure that you are doing everything that you can do to, to create peace and harmony where you are. No, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, th this this idea of awareness of our interconnectedness, I think, is is recurrent. That you know, I've I've heard this before, but I think the reason for it is because yeah, it's undeniable how this era of globalization that we're living in, um, we can see its effects quite dramatically. Um, and you know, in the current circumstances with the the pandemic, yeah not being able to get the mango. I mean, oh my gosh, God forbid, I, I can't get my mango. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's, it's serious stuff, right? No, but, you know, joking aside, right, there, it, we can see how um, without us being able to question, right, really what's going on, um, I think there's also this kind of sense of helplessness or maybe kind of this inner angst of like, well, it's, it shouldn't be like this. And then maybe we look for scapegoats and, and again, point out, pointing out differences and leading to many other issues that it just kind of creates this domino like effects mm -hmm. within our society that uh, I think we also have to be very careful about. But to, to, to have that kind of position of, well, what can I do? And, you know, my actions affect those around me, you know, embodying some of these ideals of global citizenship is definitely a sure way to do your part. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, it's really great to hear that um, from, from, from you and, and something that I also strive to do. Um, and, and I wanted to, to ask you, um, you know, I, I'd love to hear more stories uh, from you about, you know, what global citizenship means or these kind of moments of, you know, interconnectedness or curiosity mm -hmm. uh, that kind of sprang from your own, from your own life. I remember in a previous conversation that we had, you had talked about very meaningful, I guess, experience that you had while studying abroad in Ecuador. 
-hmm. and, and you know, not everyone, can, not many people can just say, oh yeah, I just studied in Ecuador, and it's no big deal, right? You were studying Spanish, you were at a university there, um, but I, I kind of wanted to hear from you, like, what, what, was there anything, you know, in particular about that experience that um, maybe not shifted your perspective, because maybe you were already well along the track of, like, recognizing these this interconnectedness, but was there something that really defined that experience for you in terms of like being a global citizen? Sure. Yeah, I, I guess I'll just back up and share that experience for the listeners too, so they don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fill them in. Question mark over their heads, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had shared with you, Scott, previously that. Um, one of the, you know, outings that we did as part of our study abroad in Ecuador was that we did what's called a toxic tour. So basically we were in the Amazon rainforest and we uh, were with a guide and we were touring through this area that had been basically ravaged by Texaco, um, the oil company. And you could see if you took a shovel and you dug, you know, just a few feet under the dirt, how so much of the land had been filled with all of the toxic waste from, you know, the byproducts of, of drilling for oil in that area um, had just been buried right under the surface in these huge pools of toxic waste and how they had had to move the local communities that had been living there off the land in order to drill. And, you know, they, they told the communities as soon as they were done drilling the area that it was safe to move back. And those locals moved back and were immediately, you know, sickened by, literally sickened by drinking the water, by eating the food from that land because it was so destroyed by all the oil poisoning um, and, and, you know, people were getting cancer and dying. And it was just one of those really eye-opening, striking moments where you realize that almost everything we do, whether it's driving a car or taking a ride in an airplane or uh, buying materials that are wrapped in plastic, like it's, it, everything is, is, uh, coming from this common source of the oil industry and it's so inescapable and it was kind of like one of those big moments where you realize that the best you can do is to just do your best and you're never going to be perfect you're never going to be able to achieve this ideal of not having any sort of negative impact on other communities it's but it's it's understanding that these choices that we make on a daily basis do have an effect larger than what we see in our immediate life and trying to live as responsibly as you can knowing that information <laughs> and and that's like that's one of the beautiful things about global global citizenship is that it's not necessarily this thing that is going to be achieved within the next five years if we just write it into a bill. It's, it's an ideal, you know? It's the way we aspire to live. Um, and I think the more you know, the, the better you can do in achieving that ideal. That's wonderful. I, I love, yeah, aspirational quality to, 
to global citizenship, the way you phrased it is really great. And and I just think it's so so incredible to to hear like um the kind of journey that you you've been on um studying at a Montessori school when you were younger in Canada and having the opportunity to to study in California, right, for our undergraduates experiences, but also to have had the opportunity to see, to witness the kind of um well catastrophe right? <laughs> that 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 is the Amazon rainforest and the kind of exploitation that is continuing to happen there. Um, and then following that with, you know, post-graduation, you know, you found yourself working in social work and to see kind of these, well, the, 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 the it's, it's a different kind of horror, I guess. Right. But in terms of like how we as humans um, with our insecurities and our fears, these things can be played out in very real ways with the people closest to us that we claim to love yeah. and how we express that love mm-hmm. through violence. Yeah. All the mean, all the while, right. Society giving mixed messages about really what it's all about. And, and it just becomes messy and, and, and confusing. Right. Yeah. And so how to navigate all of that and thinking, Oh, I'm going to aspire towards this ideal. I mean, it's, it's hard. And I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, now um, in, in this, this stage of your life, you're, you're working with, you said kindergarten and first grade with the yeah, Montessori. Preschool. preschool and kindergarten. Preschool and kindergarten. Yeah. Wow. And I've yeah, never taught really preschool. Little. Very little. Ah, <laughs> oh, they must be so adorable. Yeah, um, they got big emotions. It's fun. <laughs> and big emotions. Well, because, you know, human, human beings, little human beings. Yeah, very raw, so. very open. Yes. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, and I'm just, I'm curious, like, from from your own journey and what you've seen, the good, the bad, and the ugly, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to your approach within the classroom, mm-hmm. I, I, this is something that you've touched upon, uh, yeah. with, you know, some of the ideals uh, that are around global citizenship. But, I mean, is there something that, like, that you really wish to instill within them? Like there's their they have their own potential, right? Their own curiosity that just kind of abounds. But yes. for you as their teacher, is there something that is very much intentional in your approach or the way that you give lessons that yeah. connects to this idea of global citizenship? Yes, I, I absolutely. So um I touched on a little bit earlier just how there is such a huge focus within the Montessori setting um of geography. And something that's unique in Montessori is that when you introduce the concept of geography to a child, rather than starting, you know, at your school and then looking at your neighborhood and then your town and your state and and expanding outwards, like I've been told is the way they do it in public schools, um, Montessori does the opposite approach. So the first lesson we give to a three-year-old is the globe. And we show them what the entire planet looks like. And then from there, you you go into the continents and then you zone in on the continent in which you live. And then you go into the countries and the country in which you live and you get more and more focused until you realize, oh, I'm this teeny little speck right here in this huge world. And And during all of that, you know, so, you, so you've given them this big picture of where they fit into the world. And then you're also giving them lessons um, that, that are called 
the geography folders. And within the ge geography folders, there's one for each continent and they all have pictures of life in that continent. So most of these pictures are showing how the basic human needs that are universal are being met. So it'll show families eating food together. It'll show transportation. It'll show clothing. It'll show a mother with a baby. And, you know, you'll take out two at a time and you'll say, okay, I have a picture of a mother with a child. Can you find a picture of a mother with a child? And they do. And then you look at them together and you see, okay, both countries or both continents have mothers and children and, and you focus on the similarity. So they're really getting this perspective that humans have a universal nature. We all have universal needs and we find different ways to meet those needs but the similarities are much greater than the differences. And the differences are beautiful and they're fascinating and they're interesting, but we're all just humans at the end of the day. So I think that approach to demonstrating the world perspective is really unique and, and really just kind of fosters that, that global citizenship sort of mentality. But to answer your question, <laughs> The, I, I'd say like the biggest thing that I try to bring to my students and I can't take full responsibility for this because I have um, another teacher who I work with and she's, I work in a single classroom school. So it's just me and her and our 12 kids and she opened the school a year before I came. So she, she is the founder of this school. Um, but we work very much, you know, side by side, hand in hand with everything we do and with our approach. Um, and the biggest message we try and give is one of kindness. So that's something we talk about and we focus on every single day in the classroom is how we're being kind to each other, how we're taking care of our space as a group, how we're, um, you know, taking care of our pets. We have a pet hamster and a pet um, fish in the classroom. And um, we get to be very hands-on with um, just making sure that the communication that is happening within the classroom is respectful and is kind. So there's this whole um, section of the Montessori curriculum that's called Grace and Courtesy. And within that section of the curriculum, it's all of these lessons where you're isolating these moments that happen regularly, whether it's a social interaction, whether it's what to do if you come to the bathroom door and it's closed, you know, teaching them how to knock on the door and wait for a response. Um, but they're all these little tricky moments that can be hard to navigate as a three or four year old and you isolate them and you role play them and you give them the verbiage that they can use and how they can work out these social situations that are inevitably going to come up so that when it does come up, they know how to handle it and they can do it with confidence and everybody is just treating each other kindly. And it just makes everything flow so much more like clockwork. I'm not going to say completely like clockwork because at the end of the day, they're three. <laughs> But the, the whole purpose is to just give them the skills that they need on their own to work out their own problems, to express their emotions appropriately, and to know how to handle these difficult social situations on their own. Wow. Thank you. That, yeah, you, you more than answered my question. I, I, <laughs> the, 
the, the first case, like this Montessori approach, like going from the big macro down to the micro mm-hmm. is really wonderful. Um, and I think it helps, you know, make it as clear as possible that we're all on the same planet, you know, yep. the planet's suffering, everyone's going to suffer. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. Um, so best to start big. Pretty soon, maybe they'll, they'll adopt, okay, well, let's start with like the universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's this little planet. And yeah, then, give you know, Elon Musk a few more years and we'll get there. Yeah, who knows, right? Um, just be like Milky Way. And then <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, the, the concept of uh, cosmopolitanism um, is something very much aligned uh, and, and has a lot of similarities with uh, global citizenship. But speaking of like, what does it mean to be to be a part of, of the cosmos, right? Kind yeah. of, again, uh, works on our imagination about yeah. really, you know, where where are we amidst yeah. the vastness of this universe? Well, it's that actually easy. comes in, in elementary. So that's what I teach in primary school. But when they go into Montessori elementary, it's called cosmic education. And that's, that's exactly so cool. what I do. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. good for that. I think that's yeah. great. Um, so, yeah. So thank you so much, Audrey. Um, we are coming up on time soon. Um, it's oh, been great. Um, okay. But uh, I did want to ask you the final question, um, which relates to a book or film recommendation uh, for a, an aspiring global citizen, what do you think would be, um, you know, a good recommendation for someone who wants to, you know, maybe learn a little bit more about some of these various components that we discussed? Yeah. Well, since the way that I am living global citizenship the most in my life right now is through teaching young children, um, the books that I would recommend are children's books for, for young children. Um, there's this book I really love called Same, Same, But Different. It's written by Jenny Sue Kostaki Shaw. And it's a, a book with beautiful illustrations about two boys who are pen pals. One is in the United States and one is in India. And they just write back and forth to each other about their worlds. And it's really oh, sweet. That's so wonderful. Yeah. And then there's another book called The Peace Book written by Todd Parr. And that one is just kind of uh, pointing out all the beautiful differences and all the beautiful similarities between people all over the world. Mm. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, it, it, don't we all have that inner child that needs to be read to from time to time? I think so. so. I think so too. <laughs> so, you know, these are two wonderful recommendations. That's something that I definitely will be looking into. Um, because yeah, there's something about children's book that it's just very disarming. And there's this kind of like fantasy wonder and simplicity to it mm-hmm. all. And like, you cannot help, but you know, just, internalize the message like it's just it's so readily digestible yes i think um with beautiful illustrations it just makes the experience all the more yes um, you know fun (laughs) keeps it simple keep it simple and you know i think we as adults need to rekindle that playful curiosity and and wonder so um so yeah thank you so much for those recommendations um and I wanted to give you the last word. If there's any last like you know comment or thought or question about global citizenship that you had, but I just kind of wanted to leave you with the last few words. Yeah. Maybe maybe like a you know 15 floor uh, building. That <laughs> right. like, yeah. Yeah, I guess just to wrap it up, I would say the best thing we can do is to find peace within ourselves, 
you know, whatever that looks like for you, connecting with nature, connecting with your internal state, meditating, taking care of yourself, uh, surrounding yourself with people you love, and then just loving the people who are in your life. Yeah, that would that would be my final guidance as a you know, good global citizen. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. You you definitely are a good global citizen and a wonderful Montessori teacher. I, I'd love to have the opportunity to, to to just kind of like be one of those like lab coat scientists in the corner, just yes, observe. You know, little three year olds. Yeah, you can you can come observe and visit anytime. Oh, I I I, I definitely intend to. Um, yeah, <laughs> thank you so much, Audrey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Um, hopefully we can have you again on the podcast sometime. Yeah. Well, thank you for making this awesome podcast. I think you're really sharing something beautiful with the world. So it was a pleasure and an honor to be a part of it today. Thank you once again, Audrey, for taking the time to share your thoughts and your experiences about global citizenship. It was really wonderful to learn more about Montessori uh, pedagogy that's something that was very new to me and I think together with you know your background um, with your travels and and your your previous job before uh, becoming a teacher I just think it's really incredible um, the, the work that you're doing and how that's really going to influence these these young young people to live lives um, where they are effective communicators they're well-rounded individuals with passion and curiosity, all things that are vital for global citizenship. So thank you once again, and thank you to the listeners tuning in. It's uh, much appreciated. I hope that you're enjoying these GC talks, and there's more on the way. So take care.